You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. The U.S. issues an alert over the prospect of Russian cyber attacks and the EU begins a series of stress tests. NIST updates its guidance on engineering trustworthy secure systems. Night Sky ransomware exploits log for shell. Phishing affects a hotel chain. Carol Terrio examines international efforts to stop digital fraud. Ben Yellen on the Seattle police faking radio chatter. And we're shocked, shocked to learn of fraud and piracy on a social media platform. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, January 12th, 2022. Tensions between Russia and Ukraine have prompted authorities in both the European Union and the United States to take steps to shore up their cybersecurity in anticipation of possible conflict. We'll take up the U.S. measures first. Yesterday afternoon, the U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency issued a joint warning with the FBI and NSA. Alert AA22-011A, Understanding and Mitigating Russian State-Sponsored Cyber Threats to U.S. Critical Infrastructure. CISA Director Jen Easterly tweeted a brief commendation of the joint advisory her agency issued yesterday in conjunction with the FBI and NSA, quote, Russian state-sponsored malicious cyber activity is a continuing threat to our critical infrastructure, why we're working closely with public and private sector partners to reinforce the importance of vigilance against these threats, read our latest advisory, end quote. Stressing vigilance, NSA Cybersecurity Director Rob Joyce emphasized in this tweet, logging is key. With Russian focus on persistent access to compromised networks, you need robust logs and focused effort to hunt, find, and kick them out, end quote. The alert doesn't call out the threat of Russian military operations against Ukraine as the proximate cause of the warning, but its timing seems hardly coincidental, and the trade press isn't reading it as coincidental either. The summary says, quote, 
This CSA provides an overview of Russian state-sponsored cyber operations, commonly observed tactics, techniques, and procedures, detection actions, incident response guidance, and mitigations. This overview is intended to help the cybersecurity community reduce the risk presented by these threats. End quote. The alert is directed toward critical infrastructure providers, but its recommendations have broad application to any organization that faces a risk of cyber attack. At a high level, those recommendations are summarized as follows. Patch all systems. Prioritize patching known exploited vulnerabilities. Implement multi-factor authentication. Use antivirus software. And develop internal contact lists and surge support. CISA and its partners have provided, at the very least, a detailed overview of past Russian cyber attacks, and there's no ambiguity in the alert's attributions, as well as advice on the tactics, techniques, and procedures organizations can use to help secure themselves, those responsible for cybersecurity anywhere and in any kind of organization should give this alert close attention. Reports of U.S. and NATO talks with Russia over Russian preparations to invade Ukraine are not optimistic. The Moscow Times' coverage is representative, as is the AP's, and it seems worth noting that most of that negative assessment comes from the Russian side. Russia is concerned about NATO encroachment into what it regards as its proper security sphere of influence. NATO and the U.S. are concerned over an expansion of Russian aggression against its neighbor. That aggression is conventionally held to have begun with the Russian annexation of Crimea in 2014. Western powers have offered Ukraine various forms of support. The New York Times has reported that the U.S. and U.K. have lent expertise to Ukraine intended to shore up that country's power grid against disabling cyber attacks of the kind Russia has mounted before. The U.S. has also, according to CNN, allocated some $200 million in security assistance for Kiev, which has said, according to Reuters, that it's united with Washington against Moscow. Both Russian and Ukrainian forces remain in a high state of readiness. Since cyber operations in wartime amount to combat support, the increased risk of kinetic war carries with it an increased risk of action in cyberspace. To turn to the EU, it's begun a series of exercises designed to assess its ability to withstand cyber attacks. Bloomberg reports that the EU's member states are holding a series of cyber stress tests this week designed to check Europe's resiliency to attacks on supply chains and to give them the ability to redress any shortfalls they discover. Quote, The exercise will be structured around a gradual escalation toward a major crisis that culminates in an attack that could qualify as an armed aggression under the United Nations Charter, according to one of the documents. In order to be as realistic as possible and better prepare the bloc for a real-world attack, it will be modeled on incidents that have taken place or could occur in the near future. End quote. That's according to Bloomberg. The exercises were proposed by France. More of the CyberWire's coverage of Russo-Ukrainian tension can be found on the CyberWire website. Routine government work on cybersecurity has continued during the current period of rising tension. CISA yesterday published an industrial control system advisory on Johnson Controls Video Edge. And the U.S. National Institute of Standards and Technology has issued a revision to its cybersecurity guidance. 
engineering trustworthy, secure systems, NIST says in its introduction, quote, with the continuing frequency, intensity, and adverse consequences of cyber attacks, disruptions, hazards, and other threats to federal, state, and local governments, as well as private sector organizations, the need for trustworthy, secure systems has never been more important to the long-term economic and national security interests of the United States, end quote. The 207-page document builds upon earlier standards documents, and NIST has asked for comment. The objective, NIST explains, is to address security issues from a stakeholder protection needs, concerns, and requirements perspective, and to use established engineering procedures to help ensure that such needs, concerns, and requirements are addressed with appropriate fidelity and rigor throughout the system life cycle. End quote. Bleeping Computer reports that the Night Sky Gang, whose malware is held to be a fork of Rook, has been exploiting the log-for-shell vulnerability in exposed VMware Horizon systems to conduct ransomware attacks against its victims. Microsoft has a detailed account of the exploitation, which it attributes to the China-based group it tracks as Dev0401. The investigation into the ransomware double extortion attack against the Nordic Choice Hotel chain, now more than five weeks old, has determined that the criminals got into the chain's systems through a successful phishing email. The Wall Street Journal reports that Nordic Choice continues to recover from effects of the attack's data breach. And finally, we see again the usual human propensity to abuse whatever it can on full display in social media. Security firm Tenable this morning reported that YouTube Shorts, Google's short-form vlogging platform that competes with TikTok, is being used for a variety of fraudulent purposes. As Tenable rather primly but aptly observes, YouTube Shorts has become a haven for adult dating scams and the promotion of dubious products, mostly bogus diet aids. It has also been used as a shortcut to increase online social currency, such as subscribers and video views, Tenable says in an interesting, if dispiriting, account of what it found. So it's basically TikTok, right? I mean, no one is going to confuse any TikTok content with, oh, say, Plato's dialogues, not even the symposium. So fraud and sleaze are par for the course, but this case piles injury upon injury because much of that sleazy content is pirated from TikTok itself. The piracy and fraud are, of course, the work of users, not Google, which can be accused, at worst, of being lax in policing content on the platform. We confidently await the arrival of content-flacking colloidal silver or one weird trick to... Well, you get the picture. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. 
In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. International agencies around the world are stepping up their efforts to combat online fraud, increasing their collaboration and information sharing. Our UK correspondent, Carol Terrio, has the story. Sometimes in the world of cyber and security and privacy and scams, we need a good news story, something to make us feel like the good guys are getting ahead sometimes. So we're celebrating Interpol, the international policing agency. They have had a hand in more than a thousand cybercriminals getting arrested. Better yet, they recovered 27 million U.S. dollars in legal proceeds. The crackdown saw law agencies across 20 different countries close 1,600 cases and blocked more than 2,000 bank accounts tied to fraudulent illicit funds. This is things garnered through romance scams or financial scams. And they did all this in just four months, from June 2021 to September 21. The reason they had their international crackdown skates on was because coronavirus brought with it a surge of online nasties. Interpol's Secretary General Jürgen Stock said it showed no signs of waning. In a single case in Colombia, explains Interpol's press release, a prominent textiles company found itself defrauded of more than 8 million U.S. dollars through a sophisticated business email compromise scam, what we call BEC. The perpetrators impersonated the legal representative of the company, giving the order to transfer more than 16 million to two Chinese bank accounts. Half of the money was transferred before the company uncovered the fraud and alerted Colombian judicial authorities, who quickly contacted Interpol's financial crime unit through their national central bureau. This is where international police cooperation was activated between Interpol bureaus in Beijing, Bogota, and Hong Kong to freeze the transferred funds. Over 94% of the money was intercepted in record time, saving the Colombian company from bankruptcy. In another case, a company in Slovenia was duped into transferring more than 800000 to money mule accounts in China. Again, the Slovenian criminal police opened an investigation and reached out to their foreign counterparts through Interpol. The National Crime Bureau in Beijing allowed local authorities to successfully intercept and return the stolen funds to Slovenia in full. So what's behind all this? Well, it's technology. 
the operation saw Interpol officials pilot test a new global stop payment mechanism called the Anti-Money Laundering Rapid Response Protocol, or ARRP. And this tool proved critical to successfully intercepting funds before they disappeared into crypto or wherever. Interpol Secretary General Stock said it also underlines the essential and unique role played by Interpol in assisting member countries combat a crime which is borderless by nature. Only through this level of global cooperation and coordination can national law enforcement effectively tackle what is a parallel cybercrime pandemic. Huh, who knew that cooperation could work? Well, Interpol is looking to officially launch its ARRP tool in 2022. And based on the success shown in just four months, we could see life getting a little more difficult for scammers and thieves who have basically gotten away with tons of stuff simply because they're located in another geography. So there you go. A happy news story. The good guys get a win. Love it. This was Carol Terrio for The Cyberwire. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And joining me once again is Ben Yellen. He's from the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security and also my co-host over on the Caveat Podcast. Hello, Ben. Hello, Dave. Interesting story caught my eye here. This is from the Seattle Times, an article written by Daniel Beekman, and it's titled Seattle Police Faked Radio Chatter About Proud Boys as CHOP Formed in 2020 Investigation Finds. Unpack this, Ben, for me here. What's going on? So during the 2020 uh, post-George Floyd racial justice protests, you know, this was a a very anxious time. There were a lot of anxieties in cities across the country. Certain protests turned turned violent. Uh, So, we, you know, we were in a pretty precarious moment. And what happened in Seattle is members of the Seattle Police Department started a ruse on police radio claiming that members of the far-right group Proud Boys were present in the area, were armed, and were going to be threatening people in the CHOP, what was the Capitol Hill organized protest. This feels like a long time ago now, but that was like the uh, area that protesters had occupied. Okay, And so, you know, people were listening to police radio, people who were part of these racial justice protests, and they were very alarmed at what they heard, saying, you know, we're going to have these violent, armed, proud boys people coming in, and that's going to be, uh, you know, causing a lot of anxiety and, and potentially adding fuel to uh, the the fire. Hmm. It turns out that this was part of a approved police oper- uh, operation, a misinformation effort to kind of lure people to the area 
and, uh, you know, make uh, arrests of people who were seeking confrontation. You know, generally, this is legal. Police have a lot of leeway in conducting investigations. You know, if you're detained, they can generally lie to you that— Right, I was going to say, they're they're allowed to lie. Yeah, you know, your co-conspirator just just ratted you out, so, you know, and they they can say that even if it's not true. Uh, So they do have a lot of leeway here. This seems rather uh, unethical, I would say, even if it's not illegal. And Mm -hmm. I think we've seen some pushback— from the Seattle City Council and uh, other stakeholders within the the city of Seattle, that the police should not be causing additional harm on top of what was already a a very tense uh, situation. Well, the the thing that that struck me about this this story additionally is something you and I have spoken about on Caveat before is how many police uh, organizations are looking to encrypt their communications. They're looking to take away the public's ability to monitor these communications, that would be contrary to this particular effort here. Right. You wouldn't be able to uh, propagate this ruse if your communications were encrypted unless, Mm -hmm. you know, we get a situation that without anybody knowing, the real police communications are encrypted. (laughs) And then what's, you know, supposedly the public police channel or, you know, the blotter or whatever is actually all uh, a, a ruse intended to deceive the public. Um, huh. But you're right. I mean, law enforcement has done things like this in the past, and they wouldn't be able to do so if the public wasn't able to access those lines of real-time communications. Would the police be within their bounds to release, say, a press release ahead of an event that said, you know, we, uh, we've we been notified that, uh, you know, this the, the Proud Boys or some other group is going to be at this uh, event, and even if that were not true, is that, I'm just trying to extend this, you know, beyond the sort of that real-time radio communications realm. I don't really know from a legal perspective, but I I feel like that, you know, a press release has to be approved by the higher-ups, probably Mm -hmm. a politically appointed police chief. And I just don't think you could get away with that. Whereas yeah. when you're propagating a ruse over radio channels that's intended to lure a certain subset of, of protesters, that's something that's a little more, um, you know, away from the public eye, at least in real time. Mm-hmm. You know, so I don't know if there are any legal limits on on doing that. Usually police departments are not held accountable for even instances that really seem like entrapment. So there was this incident in 2020 where there was a plot in Michigan, or supposedly among uh, people who were radicals, uh, radical right-wing uh, extremists, threatening the governor of Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer, with violence. And we later found oh, yeah. out that that was yeah. largely coordinated by people who were undercover agents. It wasn't entrapment uh, because there were still people who were willingly participating in it who were not agents, but it was awfully close to entrapment. So I think – it really is a fine line, both legally and ethically, in terms of how much you're using a ruse to try and prevent crime and how much you're just kind of causing crime to happen in the first place. Right. And I suppose, uh, you know, reporting like this from uh, Daniel Beekman of the Seattle Times is important to both uh, put the police force uh, on notice that uh, this sort of thing will be uh, reported on, but also future protesters will know to take radio communications with a grain of salt. Right. Uh, Yeah. Don't always take them literally. Uh, Just as you, you know, everything they tell you in an interrogation room 
can't take that literally either. So, um, <laughs> and again, you know, sometimes that's part of really good, important law enforcement work. I think in, in this circumstances, to me, it just doesn't seem justified because the person who came up with this idea said that he did it so because he knew people were monitoring police radio transmissions and you wanted to give people the impression that, quote, we had more officers out there doing regular stuff. I don't know that goal that that goal really justifies propagating the, this ruse, in my opinion. All right. Well, the uh, story is from the Seattle Times. Again, it's titled Seattle Police Faked Radio Chatter About Proud Boys as CHOP Formed in 2020 Investigation Finds. Ben Yellen, thanks for joining us. That's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Eliana White, Haru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.